Hello, Energy Gang listeners. We are pleased to offer you another episode of our Interchange podcast, unlocked for you by our sponsor, ABB Automation and Power World. ABB has an exciting virtual conference coming up in September called Risk, Reliability, and Recovery. This free online event will focus on the real-world solutions to the challenges that utilities face, shrinking budgets, aging assets, new regulations, and a host of new distributed energy assets. Join ABB with your industry peers on September 22nd for a virtual conference to hear experts and utility professionals talk about managing risk and building the next generation grid. If you sign up for ABB's conference, you will also get $100 off a new GTM Squared membership. If you're not already a Square and you want to be, now's the time. Get great content from ABB for free and a big discount on GTM's premium service. How can you pass that up? ABB's digital conference is a must-attend for anyone working in the power sector. It features nine educational sessions, and when you register once, you can attend as many sessions as you like. Again, the event is ABB Automation and Power World's online conference called Risk, Reliability, and Recovery. It's being held on September 22nd from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. Register for free at new.abb.com apw gtm. Let me read it again, new.abb.com slash apw slash gtm. You can also follow the link to that conference in the show notes at Green Tech Media or on your mobile device. And now on to the interchange. This is The Interchange, a weekly conversation about the changing business of energy and clean tech from GTM Squared. I'm Stephen Lacey. Welcome. More and more businesses are using behind-the-meter batteries to cut utility fees. In the U.S., the commercial storage market is still quite small. 36 megawatts were installed in 2015, but it's growing quickly for demand charge management. And it's now starting to grow beyond the anchor markets like California, New York, and Hawaii. In this episode, we'll look at how the market is evolving and where it's evolving to. Shail Khan is on vacation this week. In his place is Ravi Mangani, the director of GTM Research's storage practice and a regular commenter on this show. Hey, Ravi, how are you? Hey, good, Stephen. How about you? Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you on the show again. And we're going to talk commercial storage economics, and we're also going to talk about some new offerings from up-and-coming storage providers, plus maybe speculate on Tesla Solar City a bit. You'll fill us in on what kind of activity Solar City has been up to. So first, um, let's just define the commercial storage market here in the U.S. Tell us more about the makeup of that market. It's pretty bread and butter thus far. Basically, a few markets with demand charges for power consumption during peak times. I mentioned the size of the market, you know, 36 megawatts for commercial storage last year. What are the typical use cases we see for those projects here? Sure. Uh, So first of all, right, uh, Energy storage in, in the CNI space or the commercial space is not a new uh, sort of phenomenon at, uh, exactly. We've had uh, CNI customers uh, use uh, other forms of, you know, or I should say not traditional forms of storage in the past for uh, maintaining their power quality and reliability through use of UPS systems or uninterruptible power supply, as they're called. And uh, in, in that sense, what we are seeing today is... Uh, 
slightly sort of expansion of different use cases and different applications in which they are using energy storage. And, and of course, that, that uh, ties nicely with uh, the advent of some emerging uh, storage technologies such as lithium-ion. So in, as, a, as a, I would say, a sophisticated CNI or a commercial customer today would be looking to use uh, storage for use, uh, using it as a, uh, as a backup power, as they've been doing for, for a number of years now, or, or like I said earlier, the UPS systems. Additionally, they could be, they could be using storage to also uh, uh, shave their peak demand on a daily basis. So that's a shift in terms of the, the type of application uh, from a UPS system, which would be called upon maybe once or twice a year uh, to provide backup or, or uh, called upon more, more frequently to just maintain a, a steady power supply. But now it's being, you know, it's being programmed to in fact uh, shave uh, and, and customers' uh, daily peak in order in order to maintain uh, a, a slightly lower overall peak demand as a result of which uh, help with their electricity bill management. Right, and that, that, that's the difference here. We've had storage for a long time, but battery storage, particularly lithium-ion batteries, are being called upon for more regular use and for a little bit longer duration, specifically to shave consumption during peak time so you're just seeing these batteries used more often right absolutely from you know uh, as being a, a resource of last resort in, in some ways now it's in, in fact a resource that's being planned into their uh, electricity uh, consumption and, and and makeup how does a storage project pencil out for for lithium-ion batteries you know we're looking at a minimum of a five percent rate of return that's what you've mapped out in this report and that corresponds with roughly a less than 20-year payback. When you look at the financials of these projects, what do you need to see in order for a state to be feasible for commercial energy storage? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 there are sort of you know multiple layers in which we can sort of uh, get into the discussion here. And uh, a couple of comments right at the beginning in terms of the the way we approached uh, looking at. CNI energy storage uh, economics, as you mentioned earlier, a, a rate of return of five percent. Now, a lot of our you know financial uh, sort of uh, colleagues would would laugh at us and say, "Why did we use five percent? Because uh, no project can pan out in five percent, and that's typically uh, one or two basis points above." what you would get from a treasury bill, for instance, right? Uh, so the, the 5% threshold was was uh, chosen very specifically. Uh, and and uh, again, the, the notion here was to think about what's the lowest possible return any customer would be willing to take in order to uh, go ahead with a, with a uh, storage project. So by no means, that's that's the expected rate of return for any project to pan, pan out in terms of you know, actual financing. But it's it's the lowest rate of return at which I would we, we expect that you could start to see customers being interested. So there's a big difference there, right? So for a for a storage project to be financially fee, uh, feasible, what we what we looked at was you know what kind of demand charges these customers would have across. Uh, we we chose the biggest utility in each of the fifty states and DC, and looked at uh, a medium uh, commercial customer as well as a large uh, commercial customer. So we essentially looked at one hundred and two rate tariffs across the country. 
and boy, uh, that's not an easy task. <laughs> oh, uh, please, uh, you know, looking through multiple utility tariff reports, I, I think that's uh, that 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 you know, that's a PhD project in itself. Uh, but anyhow, uh, we we were fearless and and uh, you know sort of took this endeavor and and uh, took on this challenge and and anyhow, so we we got to a point where we looked at 102 different tariffs and uh, uh, looked at the 20 year. Uh, economics or what twenty year project economics across those hundred and two tariffs, uh, with with certain assumptions around uh, you know what storage system size would be uh, in in what kind of demand charge reductions we would we would uh, we would get by uh, shaving off uh, daily peaks or, or 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 monthly peaks. So the long story short is we took into account all the different uh, ways in which these uh, hundred and two rate tariffs were were designed. And uh, went in with the assumption of reducing about 25% of uh, the peak demand uh, in any billing period. And based on that, came up with annual savings and then applied uh, certain sort of you know, escalators uh, for, the, for the remaining 19 years and came up with uh, returns based on the uh, bill savings from demand charge management. So after you went through all these rate structures, I think the most important takeaway here is that we only have a handful of states today where demand charge management makes sense. But all of a sudden, in the next few years, um, you know, by 2021, you've got a lot of interesting states. So I mentioned states like California and Hawaii and New York in the introduction. And whenever we talk about energy storage, we're always we're, we're in the U.S. We're often talking about these markets. But you outline states like Michigan. And uh, Connecticut and Delaware, Kentucky, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, um, where storage is already becoming competitive in limited ways or will be competitive in 2021. And so we do see under both the base case and an aggressive cost reduction case that like there are a lot of new states that are going to be opened up here in the next five years. Right, absolutely right. And and again, uh, th- the reason why California, Hawaii, and New York are are considered to be the prime energy storage markets today uh, is there are a couple of reasons there. One is uh, already these markets have high retail electricity prices. And when I say high retail electricity prices, that doesn't just apply to the energy charges, but in, in these cases also applies to demand charges. So if you're talking about uh, the the big utilities in in, in these uh, three states have demand charges upwards of you know twenty dollars per kilowatt per month uh, for for peak periods. So uh, anytime you have demand charges as high as that, and then now it, it's immaterial whether that that uh, that tariff is in in Hawaii or in Ma- Massachusetts or in Connecticut or in a different state, as long as that particular threshold was is is met, uh, we we see that the CNI. Uh, energy storage economics, you know, becomes feasible. So you took a pretty targeted view here and looked mostly at demand charge management economics. But I was left wondering in, you know, 2021, what the market will look like beyond demand charge management, because we're seeing wholesale markets, regional energy markets start to factor in aggregation of these resources. In California, for example, the local capacity requirement to fill in uh, the decline in nuclear Storage is playing an important role. And then with the Aliso Canyon emergency with a shortage of natural gas, they're also talking about energy efficiency, demand response, and storage to fill in the gap. Uh, in, Cal- in in New York, we saw the initial bids for the BD- BDQM 
uh, demand side management program where Con Edison is trying to defer the build out of a multi-billion dollar substation and they're using batteries. And I think STEM was one of the awardees there. So like as assuming that that all progresses, Demand charge management is just going to be one revenue stream by 2021, right? Absolutely. Uh, so a couple of things there, right? And and uh, that pretty much gets into the uh, the essence of this research that we did. Uh, a, yes, it, demand charge management won't likely be the only use case available for CNI customers in 2021. But you still have to start off with a baseline. So in, in other words, what, what we look at in, through this paper is uh, we are looking at the, the, the baseline economics for uh, CNI storage. Now we can definitely talk about uh, aggregation of distributed energy resources or DERs. Uh, and, and again, California ISO and, and CPUC have taken a lead on that. Um, that they of course have uh, the, the, the big goals of, of uh, meeting a 50% renewable energy target as well as uh, uh, taking care of some of the uh, nuclear plants as well as now uh, more recently the, uh, the Alice Canyon uh, situation there. So uh, all these factors when added together will uh, add to the use cases that are available and, and, and by extension uh, the returns that are available for an end customer or, or, the, or the owner of the system. However, again, you still have to start off with something, right? And no financier is going to get into this game uh, unless and until there was a, a, a pretty solid bankable source of revenue or cost savings. And, and that's why you need to start, you know, that's the reason we looked at a single value stream that, you know, forget about aggregation, forget about wholesale market participation and other revenues for DERs. Let's just start off with, with demand charge management as the core and, and, and potentially the only uh, revenue stream. And, and see what the economics looks like for other states. So uh, to, to sort of back up a bit, uh, yes, I sort of 100% agree with everything that you said about uh, about where the industry is headed. We are looking at multiple utilities looking to procure behind the meter storage. We we are currently tracking California ISO uh, with with a couple of initiatives that will uh, allow aggregation. We are looking at uh, PJM that has recently started a, a DER a special uh, group uh, within their uh, market committee. Uh, New York has been, you know, of course, active with uh, New York Rev and and uh, and of course New York ISO would have to play an important role there. Uh, just this afternoon, uh, Massachusetts signed a, a law that would uh, set uh, energy storage procurement targets for Massachusetts utilities. Uh, we do anticipate that in some shape or form, ISO New England would be involved in that process. And it's very likely, again, that we will have behind the meter storage play a role there. So there are there are different uh, activities that we are already tracking and, and seeing are, are, that are moving ahead that will likely result in behind-the-meter storage actively participating on the grid. While you were busy putting together these numbers, we saw companies busy um, developing projects in this space or moving into this space. And just recently, in, in the last few weeks, we saw Sonin, which is the residential storage company, offer a commercial uh, storage system in the U.S. And Greensmith, which comes from the large-scale storage space, has moved into the commercial sector. So this clearly shows that they think that the U.S. commercial market has a lot of promise. Competition is certainly getting more intense here. Oh, absolutely. And and up until now, we've seen a, a very, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say, you know, 
similar type of companies in 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 the space by no means you know stem or green charge networks or advanced microgrid solutions or even tesla for that matter are are similar companies but the type of products that they've offered the type of business models that they've offered are are uh, are are similar without getting into details but now now sonan's announcement to launch a, a cni product uh, shortly as well as greensmith offering uh, basically you know what what are what would look like a simple you know plug and play kind of systems a standardized systems that can be uh, deployed on on uh, on cni properties i think both these companies uh, show first of all uh, to one to one of your earlier points that there is no single cni market cni market has multiple sub segments uh, all the way from you know small mom and pop sh- uh, stores to to big you know uh, uh, big you know fortune 100 facilities so there there is room for companies to play across that that space in terms of just the system size or the product size that they're willing to offer but at the same time uh, it it also uh, sort of you know provides an insight into some other business model related uh, differences as well so uh, uh, the way in which a, a mom and pop store would procure a storage system is very different from how Googles and Amazons are getting into large contracts with huge uh, renewable energy developers on on the solar side. So uh, the the type of products that or the type of services that you would be offering to these customers also different. So for instance again to bring Sonan's example, it's very likely that they would uh, very much rely on their existing installer network uh, on the residential side. to also sell their small cni systems uh, so it's not necessarily that they're going uh, after you know hundreds of kilowatts worth of systems uh, on each facility they're likely going to go after you know few tens of you know maybe get, maybe getting up to 100 150 kilowatt systems uh, to for again very small cni customers greensmith on the other hand uh, it has experience on the grid scale side uh, side and it has developed and and uh, designed systems that are you know multi megawatt scale systems so very likely we could we would see greensmith uh, offer systems to uh, their other channel partners or, or which have been utilities and ipps in the past uh, f- offer systems that are again bigger in size uh, and and ne- you know not necessarily going after very small cni customers but but potentially going after large industrial customers there any sleeper companies here I know Enernock has tried to scale up its storage business. It certainly has a massive swath of customers that it can potentially upsell to or can acquire new customers with with storage services. Are they doing anything interesting or are there others that may not have traditionally been in the storage business who are putting together enough projects to be noticeable? That's a great question. Let's talk about Enernock Convergent and some of the other demand response companies, right? Uh so uh, like you said, these these companies already have a lot of customers that they uh sell dr to or demand response to enernock for instance uh did uh, announce a partnership with tesla uh, about a year ago it's not it's not completely out of the realm to to expect that these companies won't be active in storage but there are there are certain uh, sort of you know uh, intricacies that that uh, one has to identify in terms of again you know storage is a is an actual physical asset unlike uh, dr which is uh, you know which doesn't necessarily require 
huge amounts of investment uh plus in in a lot of cases uh storage would would be a a, a multi-year commitment uh whereas uh dr you, you could and yeah, and customer may sign off on a dr uh contract one year and and then could be completely off it the next year so there are, there are certain challenges where where storage differs from dr which which have to be would which would have to be accounted for but it in in some sense it is only uh, it's it's still an adjacent technology to dr and, and we could we very likely could see uh and anarch and converge and some other companies in fact uh, play a role in uh in, in energy storage because of of the sort of access that they have to huge uh portfolios of uh, energy customers let's get your thoughts on the tesla solar city deal let's assume that tesla acquires solar city solar city is the biggest residential installer but also the biggest as of last year i believe the biggest commercial installer and it is installing more and more storage systems in the commercial market has partnered with Tesla for some time. And um, I think there's a clear case for Tesla helping SolarCity on the residential side if there's cross-selling in its retail stores. If you're, let's say you've got um, a certain subset of customers that are walking in there that are interested in an electric car and a battery system and a solar system. So I can see the, the clear uh, relationship there. But on the commercial side, I'm not so sure it's clear because uh, I don't really know what additional advantage Tesla brings to SolarCity. So what has SolarCity been doing thus far? And do you see any um, potential synergies? Gosh, I hate that word. But do you see any potential synergies there between the two companies in the commercial space like we do in residential? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's uh, somehow a uh, you know a, a little understood or, or or less understood point that Solar City and Tesla actually have been active in the CNI as well as the utility scale solar plus storage business for a while now. Uh, a lot of the sort of media attention usually goes to Powerwall, but but uh, if you sort of go back and, and track uh, some of the projects that Tesla and Solar City have been you know, jointly involved in or even some of the other contracts that Tesla has signed with some other developers, they are on the CNI side. So in in other words, the there there already is an opportunity for CNI solar plus storage and, and uh in, in in some markets for utility scale solar plus storage. So let's let's look at those two opportunities there, right? Uh, on the CNI space, uh again what storage offers is is a clear opportunity to be uh to shave uh, peak demand. On the other hand, solar is, of course, you know, an energy uh, technology where, by which it, uh, the end customer can reduce their overall energy footprint. But the the combination of the two, uh, again, borrowing your your phrase, synergy, right? There is a lot of synergy to be offered in terms of uh, lower cost if you if they were to be deployed together. Uh, a because uh, you are uh, you are installing both the systems at the same time as a result of which lowering the the overall installation cost there are some opportunities for in fact you know sizing the systems more uh, optimally in order to uh, look at, uh, shave off the overall sort of electricity bill rather than looking at the energy component via solar and then the demand charge component via storage separately so there are some sort of you know uh, systemic uh, uh, you know efficiencies by by deploying uh, solar plus storage systems at the same time uh, plus you, you can you know talk about customer acquisition and financing and all those other elements now one thing to keep in mind is that uh, up until now we haven't seen that many solar plus storage combined or joint sort of you know financial uh, 
tools or, or instruments in the market yet. Uh, Sun Edison had tried uh, back in the day to to bring both the solar and storage financing uh, under a single roof, and that and uh, that didn't fly as as, as well uh, for for reasons uh, not related to this topic. But uh, there is clearly an opportunity there for. Solar City uh, to come in with with a with a single product a, a PPA type of product that could be used uh, for both solar and storage uh, systems. I want to end this conversation with an outlook on pricing. You assume in the aggressive cost reduction case that we see this fifteen percent yearly drop in balance of systems storage balance of systems, and we've just seen enormous amount of production capacity for cells built out around the world. Um, Tesla's Gigafactory is just one slice of that, even though it gets a lot of attention. And so therefore, we've seen a lot of downward pressure on pricing. I talked to STEM's CTO a couple months back, and he said that they had seen a 70% drop in battery pricing in the last 18 months, and they would likely see a similar drop over the next 18 months. How does that square with what you're tracking and ultimately, what does that mean for the CNI space uh, if those trends continue? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Let's parse this out. Uh, there, are, there are two factors there, or two two sort of phenomena happening uh, in parallel, and and thereby getting to a seventy percent cost decline. At the overall sort of industry or market level, we've seen about fifteen, ten to fifteen percent cost declines year over year for the past three odd years. And and that's been primarily a sort of a function of uh, capacity overhang for certain vendors, but in general, uh, getting better you know uh, efficiencies on uh, as well as better uh, density for for these uh, for packing cells and and modules together, right? So those have been the the key sort of industry wide drivers for cost declines. Uh, for on, on storage now in stem's case what i am speculating here is uh they largely got you know additional cost declines on on top of those about you know let's say 30 to 35 percent cost declines sort of cumulative over the last two years uh is is uh likely due to the them having you know procured in in uh, greater quantities or having changed their supplier, right? Uh, and, and both of those are possible or, or, or responsible uh, for getting the additional 30 to 35% cost declines that they have claimed. So in short, they've, you know, I can totally see how a single company could have received a 70% or could have experienced a 70% cost decline over the last two plus years. Now, if we fast forward into what to expect for the next couple of years, uh, again, we are pretty much tracking uh, cost declines in, in uh, roughly 10%, 10 to 15% mark, but but that's again uh, going to be a function of uh, a couple of uh, industry sort of uh, technology innovations across the industry. One with respect to further improvements in density, which uh, changes you know sort of cost not just at the battery cell or battery pack level, but can also uh, sort of uh, uh, result in greater cost declines across the system level as the overall system footprint reduces. However, we do anticipate that you know by around 2018 or so, uh, we may not be seeing again you know 15% uh, cost declines for the you know for the remaining sort of three years 2018 through 2021. So as a result of which we we ended up with a I would say a slightly conservative baseline of about nine percent. 
So the reason we we approached the aggressive cost scenario was precisely this reason, uh, this factor that you know we've seen fifty percent cost declines for the last couple of years. We expect to see fifteen percent cost decline at least this year and next. So why not apply that same fifteen percent cost decline for the for the entire sort of five year horizon and and see what the cost would be and and the result of those you know aggressive cost declines, what the economics could be for CNI storage in uh, in in in, uh, in the U.S. and what we of course uh, saw. To, to no one's surprise is uh, about half the number of states, uh, roughly, or like I think there are 26 uh, states uh, uh, that we saw at least one of the two uh, rate tariffs, either the me- the medium customer tariff or the or the large uh, customer large CNI tariff, uh, getting to an attractive or, or a feasible economic return. Well, demand charge management may not be the most exciting topic for those who are not building energy geeks, but the uh, growth in this market is certainly indicative of the progress we're seeing broadly across storage, which is, uh, I think, exciting for everyone. And Ravi Mangani, GTM Research's director of our storage business, is on top of that. A great report, Ravi, and thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Stephen. Nice talking to you. Thank you very much to you for listening, and uh, thanks a lot to ABB for opening up this week's podcast. Remember, their Automation and Power World Conference is free, and it's coming up on September 22nd. It's a virtual conference uh, where you're going to hear experts and utility professionals talk about managing risk and building the next generation grid. You can find a link to that at Green Tech Media at the show notes or on your mobile device if you're listening on your mobile phone. We've got it right there. And again, the event is held on September 22nd. Shale Khan will be back next week. Uh, For The Interchange, I'm Stephen Lacey. Thanks for joining us.